All right, how we doing, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah. Hey, turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them you sure are glad that they're sitting next to you. Yeah. Tell them they, they make you look good. You're glad it's them sitting next to you, right? Hey, hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I'm so glad that you are joining us uh, today. Uh, we're wrapping up a series we've been in on, uh, called Family. This is our fifth week, and man, I've been excited about this series. Uh, I feel like God's been moving in the, in the lives of, of people's homes. Uh, I've had people call me and just tell me uh, that they really have been touched by God. And so I really do hope that this message, this last message as we wrap up, uh, will be a blessing to you as well. And it'll be something that really does make some, make, cause big changes to happen in your home. And so a lot of people wonder, though, why are we, why are we talking about family for five weeks? Why, why are we talking about it for so uh, long? Well, the reason we're talking about family so much is because families really are under attack. Marriages are under attack. Children are under attack. Our enemy, the devil, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. And if you look around, he really is having his way with so many families in our nation and in our world. And so what we've been doing in this series is talking about things that we can do to move our families more towards God and more towards the things of God. And as we start today, uh, I wonder how many of you guys have ever been in love? You ever been in love? If you're sitting next to your spouse and they don't have their hand up, I give you permission to smack them in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, but I remember, I remember when I found, when I felt like, hey, you know what? Amanda is the one. My wife, she is the one I want to marry. She's the one uh, I want to, I want to spend the rest of my life with. I loved her and she loved me. And can can you blame her? Anyway, but anyway, so I knew it was time for us to to take our relationship to the next level. I knew it was time for me to ask her uh, to marry me. And so I started planning things. I started looking for rings. You know what I mean? I, I went to jewelry stores. I, I talked to people who actually sold jewelry for a living. And I finally picked out a ring. And after I picked out a ring, I, I started planning out the conversation that I was going to have with her father. I was going to ask her father for permission. And by the way, uh, guys, teenagers, whoever, uh, it, you, if you're, you're, your girl that you want to marry has a father, you need to ask that father for permission. Amen. You can call me old-fashioned. Uh, you can call me whatever you want, but I got two girls, and they better not come up in my house talking about they engaged. I will bust a boy, you know what I'm saying, if I hadn't heard nothing about it. You asked for permission. And so I started planning uh, this conversation out in my head that I was going to have with her, her father. And in my head, man, my words were perfect. In my head, man, uh, he was excited. In my head, he was excited that, that he wasn't losing a daughter. He was gaining a son. In my head, that's how it all worked out. And so I planned everything out, and finally the opportunity arose for me and him to have some alone time, for me and him to, to basically have some time where I could ask this question. And so it was just him and I, and I said, hey, Mr. Bill, I said, I'm glad it's just me and you. I said, there's something important that I want to ask you. And I said, Mr. Bill, I really would like to ask for your permission to marry your daughter. And this is where things really took a different turn than what I was thinking. Because when I asked Mr. Bill, instead of him being excited uh, about gaining a son-in-law like me, instead of him being excited about this situation, he said, absolutely not. And then he yelled at me for two hours. I'm not making this up. And so once he got done yelling at me, I just looked at him and I said, I said, wow. I said, that did not go the way I planned it to go. 
And uh, he really did. He hurt my feelings. Everybody say, oh. Thank y'all so much. I wish he was here so y'all could tell him how mean he is. He's probably listening online. Anyway, uh, but after some time passed, after some time passed, I knew it was okay for me to ask Amanda. He had not given me uh, verbal permission, but I, I did. I knew, it was, I knew it was okay. And so what I started doing was I started planning out uh, the proposal. And so I decided that I was going to do it uh, at an after-school enrichment program. It was the end-of-the-year program where I worked. I worked at an after-school enrichment program. We helped kids learn and do some other stuff. And so we were having a 70s theme program. And so I remember I had this big, this big afro on. I was wearing a tie-dye shirt. I had uh, these stonewashed jeans on. Anybody remember them stonewashed jeans, something like that? Yeah. So I was wearing that kind of stuff. And so at the end of the program, all the kids came out, and they had posters around their necks that had, like, peace signs and stuff that was related to the 70s on there. And so the song that was playing in the background was Celebrate Good Times. Anybody know that song? Celebrate good times. Come on. Celebrate. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so after that, that song was playing, all of a sudden the music just kind of stopped. You know what I mean? And once it stopped, Barry Manilow started playing. Y'all don't know nothing about no Barry Manilow. But not just any Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow's song, I Can't Smile Without You, started playing. I can't smile without you. I can't laugh and I can't live. I'm finding it hard to do anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so, I, so Barry Manilow started playing. And what happened when Barry Manilow started playing? All those kids flipped over their posters. And on every one of those posters was a letter. And it spelled out, will you marry me, sweet girl? All right, and so after that, I walked up to her on the front row. I got down on one knee and I flipped my poster board over, and it said, "Check yes or no." Y'all, what'd she say? She said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Robert, why'd you do all of that? Why'd you plan all that? Why did you do all of that? Well, because it was the second most important decision of my life. The first one, following Jesus, but the second one was who I was going to marry, and so I was very intentional. It was very deliberate, and I put a lot of energy and a lot of effort into that proposal. Plus, I thought by asking her in public, it would force her to have to say yes so she didn't <laughs> embarrass me. But it was so important to me, and it was obviously so important to Amanda that Amanda actually kept the wig that I was wearing that day. She kept, she kept the tie-dye shirt that I wore that day, and every day she crawls up into our attic and looks at it that's in a box. You know what I mean? She's so blessed to be married to me. But again, it was very, very important. And in life, when it comes to the things that are most important, you and I have to be deliberate. And we have to be intentional. And so when it comes to having a Christian home, I want you to understand that if you're going to have a Christian home, it's only going to happen because you are deliberate and because you are intentional. Last week we started the message. It was seven things, seven ways to build a Christian home. Home. Seven ways. See, because what we understand is, is that you can be Christians under a roof and not have a Christian home. So you got to be deliberate. And so we talked about three things that we need to do if we want to have a Christian home. The first thing is Christ has to be first. Christ has to be first in everything. You seek God first and then everything else lines up behind him. We said that you need to create a great atmosphere. You actually need to bring life into your home. You need to speak life into your home. Then the third thing that we said you need to do is clarify your values. 
You know what I mean? We don't need to get our values based off of what the world thinks or what our kids' friends think or even what our kids think. We want to get our values based off of the precious word of God because what you feel and what you think will change. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so we want our values to line up with God because he's unchanging. That's what we need to do. And so again, and what we want to do is we want to be intentional when it comes to doing these things, it requires us to be deliberate. And so why, though? Why is it so important for us to be deliberate? Well, if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6. That's our main passage. We're going to look at several other passages. But in Ephesians chapter 6, really really uh, prior to Ephesians chapter 6, and how many of y'all just know that if it's in the Bible, it's got to be important? A couple people, praise the Lord. Uh, so... If it's in the Bible, we want to take it seriously. If it's in the Bible, you know what I mean, we really need to consider what's happening there. Well, if you go to the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians talk about God's great love for us. It talks about how we didn't earn God's love, we don't deserve God's love, but he freely gives it to us. He sent his son to die for us. Again, we don't deserve it, but that's how much he loves us. Then the next two chapters actually talk about Christian living. Paul says, because God loves us so much, our response to that is that we live a certain way. Then you get to Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul is giving some last words of advice. He basically says, hey, before I go, let me tell you one more thing because it's important. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 10. He says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11 says, put on. Everybody say, put on. Put on. Say it a little better than that. Say, put on. put on. All right, it says, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, you'll be able to stand. So do you see what Paul is saying right there? Paul is saying that you have a real enemy in your life. I have a real enemy in my life. There is a real enemy to my soul. There is a real enemy to your soul and to our homes. And so if you are not deliberate, if you are not intentional, if you do not put on the full armor of God, things are going to be disastrous for you. So a question each and every one of us really need to ask ourselves is, do we believe that this enemy is real? Do we believe that this enemy really does come to steal, kill, and destroy? Do we believe the enemy is not our friend? Do we believe that? We've got to ask ourselves that. And so if you believe the enemy is real, and if you believe he's coming to destroy you and destroy your home, then you need to ask yourself, if that's true, are you doing everything that God says do to protect your home? Or are you doing just what you think is important? To protect your home or worse yet are you just letting what happens happen at your home Paul says put on the full armor of God he says be deliberate be intentional so what are the other four ways to build a Christian home if you keep a notes you want to write them down here we go number four you need to commit to service you need to commit to service if you want to build a Christian home if you want to build a home that's different from everybody in this world, what you've got to do is you've got to commit 
to service. You say, oh, I got that, Pastor. I serve at church. I, I, I serve with the ushers. I, I serve on the parking team. I serve, I serve on the hospitality team. I serve in the children's ministry. Look, I thank you very much that you do that. But listen to me. If your kids only see you serving at church, if they only see you being faithful in this environment, I promise you, you are not sowing Christianity into their life. You are sowing hypocrisy and cynicism. You are, you are causing them to doubt. See, they need to see you serving at home as well. In my home, in my home, in our home, when Amanda needs help, you know what, you know what I do? Because I love her, I serve. In our home, when I need help, do you know what Amanda does? She actually helps. She serves. My kids don't just see Amanda doing all the cleaning at the house. They see us both doing it. They don't just see Amanda doing all the laundry. They see us both doing it. And before you go thinking, man, man, he sure is awesome. Let me just tell you, I don't want to do laundry. I hate laundry. But because I love my wife and because I want my kids to see something, I serve. We serve together. Listen to me. I assure you that your kids will be more impacted by what you do at home than what you do here. You got to demonstrate your devotion. Do your kids see that you've made yourself an actual servant? That you're willing to serve not just when it's convenient, but even when it's inconvenient? If you were to ask your kids or anybody, no matter who you are, if you were to ask the people around you to describe you in 10 words, would the word servant even make the top 10? Why is it important? Because I want you to see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25. The Bible says, Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus said we have to become servants. Jesus said we have to become slaves. We've got to commit to service. Do you demonstrate your commitment? Do you demonstrate your devotion by serving? Because in a Christian home, that's what you do. You commit to service. The fifth thing, the next thing, if you keep a notes and you want to write it down, seven ways to build a Christian home is this. You connect to the church. You connect to the church. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, uh, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, I heard somebody once say that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And maybe you don't have to jump out of an airplane without a parachute either, but it helps, you know what I'm saying? We're told not to neglect the meeting of ourselves together as some were apparently in the habit of doing then and as some are in the habit of doing even today. Again, remember our main chapter in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Again, if you're going to put on, that requires you to do something. Armor doesn't just fall on you. You have to put it on. I talk to people and I talk to families all the time and they come in and they tell me their troubles and when they're talking to me, it's painfully obvious that they just did not put on the armor of God. It's sitting there on the floor. It's available to them, but they just refuse to put it on and they wonder why they're hurting. 
And they wonder why they're wounded. And they wonder why they're in trouble and in pain. Listen to me. You cannot be protected against our very real enemy unless you put on the full armor of God. Coming to church helps protect you. Look at the person sitting next to you and just tell them they're a huge success just for being here today. Come on now. Isn't it hard sometimes just to make it to church on Sunday? Is it just at my house? Man, if, if, if you're going to fight with your spouse, you're going to do it on the way to church, right? If you're going to fight, it's going to be getting out the door. You're like, it's, we, I told you we had to leave at 8 o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. I told you how we leave, right? That doesn't happen at our house. You know what I'm saying? But we had to leave. And then you're like, you, so you go get in the car. You get the, I'm getting air conditioning ready for you. Just hurry up, hurry up. That's what you're thinking, right? And then they're in there going, well, I would hurry up if somebody would help me get the kid's hairs brushed. You know what I'm talking about? Like that. And then when you finally make your way to the car, you know, the kid that you just got dressed can't find their shoes. How do you lose your shoes? You just had them on. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? And so finally, you find the shoes, you get in the car, and you're late, so you can't find a parking spot. And so you're looking, I just don't even know why we're doing this. And so finally, you find one far away, and you come in, and after you negotiate checking your child into children's church, you know what I'm saying? Because they're like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And so you negotiate those terms. You finally come in here, but you can't find a seat where you wanted to, right? And so you're like, why do we do this? I don't even like God. But then they sing Glorious Day, and you're like, it is the glorious day. I love you, God. I know what I'm talking about. You are a huge success just by being here. And so you've got to connect to the church. But it's hard. It's hard because we really haven't taught people how to connect with the church. We really haven't taught people what church membership looks like. And so let me give you a little church 101, some things that will help you if you want to connect to the church. The first thing you need to do is stretch yourself in worship. When worship comes on, man, it doesn't matter if you're a good singer or not. We got good singers, and so sometimes nobody sings. They're just, man, they're doing a good job. That's what they think. But, you know, you, you sing. You sing. When, 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 you, when worship is going on, man, raise your hands in worship. Open your arms. Why? Why? Because this opens you up to God, right? When you open yourself up to God, I promise you, if you'll come in and focus on him, all the problems in your life will seem much smaller because you're worshiping a big God. Amen. And so, man, open yourself up to God. Stretch yourself in worship. Even if you can't sing, sing that one note you know how to sing. We'll turn the music up louder so nobody else can hear you. Just stretch yourself in worship. The second thing you need to do if you really want to really connect yourself to the church better is take notes. Take notes. Studies show that if you'll write it out in hand, you'll be more likely to remember it in your mind. You say, is it really important? Well, we, we take notes at school, don't we? Right? What's more important, you know, school or, 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 or church? You say, well, there's going to be a test at school. Folks, when you and I die, there's going to be a test. You better be ready. Nothing discourages a preacher like a congregation that's not paying attention. I'm telling you, man, I like to see people nodding their head. Nod your head when I'm up here preaching. Just make sure you bring it back up. I think you fell out. You know what I'm saying? But again... And something that don't take a nap in church. God don't bless a nap at church unless you're in the nursery. He don't, he don't bless a nap in church. He doesn't. I'm telling you, the Bible says that. First opinions, check it out. It says that, chapter 2, verse 14. But pay attention. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The third thing that you can do if you really want to connect to the church better is get in involved in a small group. Man, 
uh, I, I teach a marriage group, marriage class in my home, and there were 36 people there this past week. It was amazing, okay? And so some people are like, that's not a small group. Dude, it was amazing. And here's what I like about it is that there's so many different levels of people who are there. There are newlyweds, people who are about to get married. There are newlyweds, and then there's when did we wed? You know what I mean? They've been married so long they don't even remember how long it's been. And here's what's crazy is that each person in that group adds something to it. Their life experience helps all of us because we're all on the same journey, and it's the same way with you. You have something to offer. You have something that will help other people, and so get involved in a small group. The fourth thing that will help you to connect with a church is don't rush out. It amazes me, man. Sometimes when the service is over, it's like the rapture happened. People are gone. You know what I'm saying? Where'd they go? You know what I'm saying? People come in late. They'll come in late, and then they'll leave. Don't even say a word to nobody. You know what I mean? And it's so funny when I'll tell y'all, hey, turn to your neighbor and say. Some of y'all are like, <laughs> the person whose elbow has been touching me, you want me to talk to them? Yes! Talk to them. Smile. Man, tell them your name. If you got a criminal record, tell them somebody else's name. Just talk to them. <laughs> Man. The fifth thing to do that will help you connect in church is eat and nap after service. Woo! I'm going to tell you what, y'all, that's good preaching, man. You go get you whatever you want to eat. You eat the buffet. You eat it up. God takes away all those calories. I'm just kidding. You don't do that, okay? But for real, man, you go and eat, and then you go home, and you lay on the couch. You turn that TV on, and you put the remote control right here on your chest, and you go down for several hours. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get some rest, and when somebody tries to wake you up, you say, no, 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 because Hebrews 4, 9 says this, therefore, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You tell them, don't disturb me. I'm trying to practice the Bible. That's what you tell people right there, right? It's good. But again, connect to the church. Practice the pattern of church participation. Let your kids and your spouse and your friends and everyone else see that church is a priority to you. Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let the people around you know that you feel the exact same way. And listen to me, this is very important. If you come, I might say some things you don't agree with 100%. If you come, I might do some things that you don't agree with 100%. But you keep coming. Why? Because if you make this a priority, if you're deliberate and you're intentional, if you make this a pattern in your life, When you get hit the hardest and you need to be here the most, this will be the pattern that you've already set in your life, and this will be the pattern that you fall back to. It breaks my heart sometimes. There are people who get out of the habit. They just don't make this a pattern, and then when they get hit the hardest, they can't get back to the place that they need to be. Make this a pattern. Connect to the church. So commit to service. Connect to the church. The fourth, the third thing, or you know what I'm saying? What's that? The sixth thing. I don't know. Messing me up all these numbers. The sixth thing you need to do is combine forgiveness and faithfulness. I'm from Pearl. Combine forgiveness and faithfulness. Have you ever noticed the amount of secrecy that exists in homes today? You ever notice that? It's really wild. You know what I mean? We might do something wrong. We might hide stuff, and we keep it from our spouses. 
keep it from our parents. I mean, why do we do that? I remember a few months back, I had just finished building the cabinet boxes uh, in my kitchen. I just finished building the cabinet boxes, and so I put the toe plate up, uh, the toe kick, the, the baseboard type thing, and I put these 45-degree angle cuts on the bottom of those, uh, those, those, those counters, those cabinets. And so I remember I was walking out of the house one day, and something caught my eye. On, it, it didn't look right. And so upon further inspection, I walked over there, and what I noticed was somebody had broken. And what they did was they set it up to where the next person who touched it could be like, you broke it! Anybody ever done something like that? Repent! Right? And so, man, I was mad. I'm I'm sitting here going, unbelievable. Man, I put blood, sweat, and tears. This took me forever. And I'm like, Amanda, who in the world would do this? I said, I bet it was lost, and that's all he does around here is break stuff. Terrible twos, you know what I mean? Just breaking stuff. And Amanda... She said, it was me. And I didn't want to say nothing. So she's grounded for life. <laughs> but seriously, think about it. Why do we do wrong and sometimes feel like we can't come clean about it? Why do we do wrong and feel like we can't come clean to the people who are supposed to love us the most? See, I don't think it's just because we're afraid to be punished. I think sometimes we're not willing to come clean because we're afraid we won't be forgiven. See, in our families, we're not always going to agree on things. In our families, sometimes we're going to accidentally hurt one another. Sometimes we will intentionally hurt one another. But we have to forgive because the cost of unforgiveness is far too high. I talk to people all the time who so will say things like, I haven't talked to my mom or my dad in years. I'll talk to, to parents who say, I haven't talked to my kids in years. And they think they're standing for something that's right, but they're not. What they're actually doing is just excluding themselves from the lives of their children and grandchildren who they need. We have to forgive. And forgiveness doesn't mean that we agree with what they did. Forgiveness is you just letting God deal with the person who hurt you. Forgiving others is saying, I'm committed to the pattern that God has set in my life. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Look at what he says. He says, instead, instead of what? Instead of the way that you used to live, instead of the way that you used to be, instead of the way that everybody else is around you, instead be kind to each other tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That person who hurts you, that person who is unjust, all you have to do is forgive them the same way Christ forgave you. It's not based on who they are and what they've done. It's based off of who Christ is and what Christ has done. It, it, when we forgive, what we are doing is we're actually choosing to apply what has already been applied in our life. And I'm convinced that forgiveness produces faithfulness. See, when I know that if I mess up, that my wife is going to forgive me and she's going to love me, it makes me more committed to her. When mom and dad demonstrate forgiveness amongst one another, 
it lets the kids see that forgiveness is also available to them. Forgiveness produces faithfulness. And when we forgive as Christ has forgiven us, that's when we become strong as a family. So there's a seventh thing. There's a seventh thing that we need to do if we're going to really uh, have a, a, a Christian family. We've got to communicate, 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 and communicate more. Everybody say communicate. communicate. It's like a bad word in some homes. We've got to talk. I don't want to do that. You've got to communicate. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. It says, instead, instead of what? Instead of the way everybody else is. Instead of the way that you used to be, be filled with the Spirit. Then look at verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. You see that? Speaking to one another. Listen to me. The way that we speak, the way that we articulate our words, our tone, it sets the atmosphere in our home. And Paul says, now that you're in Christ, things have to be different. So does the way that you speak, does the way that I speak, does it bring life? How do people feel when they leave your presence? How do, be, how do people feel after they have talked to you? We have to communicate in our homes. And when we communicate, we need to make sure that we're communicating the right things, right? Amen. What are the right things to communicate? Well, let me give you three things that we need to continually communicate in our home. Again, if you want to write these down, these are important the first thing that you need to never stop communicating in your home is you need to communicate the need for grace. You have to communicate the fact that Jesus came to this earth because we are broken and we are sinners and we needed him to come and help us and to save us. You've got to continually communicate that in your home. The second thing that you need to communicate in your home is the why behind the what. The why behind the what. You can talk about your standards, that's great, but it needs to be more than just do this and do that. You need to explain why we do what it is that we do. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says, we love because he first loved us. Parents, tell your kids that we love Christ because he first loved us. He loved us so much that he died for us. He loved us so much he gave everything for us. He gave his life. So we're going to give our life back to him. So you need to create environments that lead to talking so that you can talk about these three things. You need to cook together. You need to walk together. You need to clean together. You need to throw a ball together. You've just got to create environments where you can talk. So turn the screen off. Turn the screen off. Anybody got a screenager? Anybody got one? And the adults are just as bad. Turn the screen off. Just do something that leads to talking. Communicate the need for grace, the why behind the what. And finally, communicate the power of truth. The power of truth. Communicate the basic ideas behind the Bible the major doctrines of faith. Don't just come to church and be spoon-fed. Get to know the truth yourself. Allow the truth to speak to you. Allow the truth to transform you so that you can share the truth in your home. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, Moses is talking to the Israelites, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you talk about the scriptures at your house? You talk about Jesus? So many of our kids can tell you entire rosters of professional teams. They can tell you all the positions. They can tell you all sorts of other things. But if you ask them to tell you the Ten Commandments, they're going to be at a loss, most of them. There's only ten of them, and they're commandments. Are they important? Yes, they're important. So do you talk about that kind of stuff with your kids? And this really bothers me. Man, it bothers me. Think about all the major holidays that we celebrate in our nation. Like, if you go to Home Depot right now, you don't know what's going on. Like, on one side of the, of the place is ghosts and skulls and a zombie horse. No lie, I was at Home Depot yesterday. A kid walked up to that horse, pressed that button, that horse started moving. He fell out on the ground. I laughed so hard. But again, on one side of the store, you got, like, darkness. Then on the other side of the store, what do you got? Christmas trees. Uh, I mean, there's one side that's happy and one side that looks like, you know, it's real depressed, right? But what's coming up? Man, Christmas is just around the corner. How many people are excited? Christmas is coming. I'm ex- just me. I love gifts, man. I love, I love Christmas presents. I don't like to decorate. That's terrible. Anyway, but Christmas is coming. There's going to be a lot of parents who are saying, we got to take our kid to see Santa Claus. Am I going to do that? Going to the Bass Pro Shop, going to get a picture with Santa. We do it every year. We're going to get a picture with Santa. And then you'll be telling your kids, hey, you better not, you know, pout. You better not cry. What are, I don't even know the song. You know, Santa Claus is coming to town. Right? You're going to be saying that stuff. Then what else do you do on Christmas Eve? What you going to put out there on the fireplace? Cookies and milk. Santa Claus is coming. Man, we had to put out reindeer food last year. Anybody put out reindeer food? And then the elf on the shelf that is coming too. That elf comes into your house, does all sorts of crazy stuff. Anybody know about that? There's a lot of energy and effort that goes in. You know what I mean? That the elf puts into all that stuff. A lot of energy and effort. And then think about the other stuff that's going on. Like if your kid loses a tooth, what do you do? You get that tooth fairy pillow, right? Put that little tooth in there. The tooth fairy's going to come see you. You got to go to bed. And then when they wake up the next morning, what do you say? Did the tooth fairy come? And then what do they do? They're really excited. The tooth fairy came. The tooth fairy came to see me. Easter, what do we say? What do we say at Easter? You know what I mean? Hey, the Easter bunny is coming. You get a basket full of eggs and chocolate and all this other good stuff. The Easter bunny's coming. Listen to me. I'm not saying you shouldn't do any of that in your home. I'm not. But what do we do in our homes to recognize Christ? Think about all that stuff, and then what do you do in your home to recognize the most important thing? The sad truth is, is that many people who call themselves Christians don't do anything in their home to keep God first. We've got to do better. See, I don't have it all figured out, but I sure am trying. 
I want to do better. And you've heard me kind of talk about this briefly uh, for, the past, for the past few weeks about how we started to do communion in my home weekly as a family. It's how we carve out time just to talk as a family. Not just talk, but talk about the right things. And some people think it's weird. We'll tell people, we do communion in our home. They'll look at us kind of weird. And I'm like, well, the face you just made when I told you that's weird, that's what I think. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I mean it's people do, they think it's weird. They think it's weird. And I'm not saying that you've got to do that. I'm not saying you've got to do that. But I am saying that you need to carve out some time in your family, in your house, where you have time to communicate these things. Do something that gives Jesus his place in your home. And so we do communion. What's it look like? And I'm wrapping up. What's it look like? We start off with prayer. Start off with prayer. And after we pray, you know what we do? We light a candle. Why do we light a candle? Because Jesus is the light of the world. We put that candle right in the middle of the table. And my kids know that when we do that, it's symbolic of the fact that Jesus is right there with us. We remember that Jesus is here, and we also think about the fact that one day, when Jesus comes back to get us, we're actually going to go be with him, and we'll all gather around the table with Jesus. He'll be there in the flesh. And we'll have that communion meal again. So we light a candle. After we light a candle, you know what we do? We read scripture. After we read scripture, you know what we do? We take that piece of bread. We break that piece of bread and we talk to our kids and anybody else who's in our house about it being symbolic that Christ's body was broken for you. It was broken for you. And then we'll take and we'll eat that bread and we'll say, Jesus, we thank you for your body that was given for us to make us whole. Then we read some more scripture. Then we take that juice. And after we take the juice, we talk about that juice, how it's symbolic of Jesus' blood being shed for us. And then we'll say, Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us, poured out for us for the removal of our sins. And we'll drink it. What do we do next? We read more scripture. What do we do after that? We pray. We pray over our home. Every week we dedicate our house to God. Every week. Is it necessary? Families are under attack. Every week we dedicate our home to God. We say, God, may this house be a house of prayer. May this house be a house of praise. May this house be a house of worship. May everything that's said and everything that's done in this home and on this property be done to bring you glory and you honor. We declare today that we're going to serve you, God. That's what we say. We, we bless our house. Then after we pray over our house, I'll take my hand and I'll put it on my wife's shoulder and I'll pray a prayer blessing over her. Then after I pray for her, you know what she does? She puts her hand on my shoulder and she prays a, a prayer blessing over me. Then after that, we, well, first of all, we do that out loud so that our kids can see it and hear it. Then after that, we put our hands on each one of our kids individually and we pray over our kids. Then if we got guests in our home, we do the very same thing for them. And listen to me because this, this blessed me tremendously. This past week, Sadie Kate, my eight-year-old. We got any eight-year-olds in here? 
young, young kids? Brian? I guess Brian's older than eight, but he's got an eight-year-old. Sadie Kate, my eight-year-old, had a friend over. We were going to be having communion. And so Amanda asked the friend's mother, said, hey, we're going to be doing communion. Is it okay if your daughter has communion with us? She said, oh, y'all going to the church to have communion? Amanda said, no, we do it in, we do it in our home. And so the mom was like, okay. And so Sadie Kate and her friend were hanging out for a little while. came time for us to eat. And so we were getting ready to have communion. We have communion. We're starting to pray. And so after I pray over the house, after I pray over Amanda, after Amanda prays over me, after we pray for our kids, the, the girl's mother shows up. It's time for her to go. And so Sadie Kate, my eight-year-old, says, you can't leave yet. She tells her friend, you can't leave yet. Why? We haven't prayed over you. My eight-year-old said that. And I'm, I'm not trying to tell you a story, to, a story to, to lie. I'm not trying to tell you a story to get you emotional. But th- this blessed me. And I wanted to see where it went. I said, okay, Sadie Kate, we need to pray. I said, you pray over your friend. Man, my eight-year-old, eight-year-old, took her hand, and she put it on her friend's shoulder. And it wasn't some kid prayer. She said, God, I thank you for my friend. She said her name. And she said, God, I, I ask that you would bless her. She said, God, I, I pray that she sleeps good tonight. She said, God, I pray that she has a good day tomorrow. God, I pray that things don't happen that make her sad. And I, God, I pray that you would use her to change the world. My, my eight-year-old prayed that prayer over her friend. But I firmly believe she wouldn't have done any of that had she not seen it modeled in the home first. Had she not seen it modeled from mom and dad. Parents, we've got to put Jesus first. It takes us being intentional. It takes us being deliberate. And see, I wish I could tell you that serving communion in the home was my idea, but it wasn't. In fact, just a couple months ago, the lead team from our church went to a conference. And at this conference, the pastor got up to talk, and he talked about how he started having communion in his own home and how he was encouraging the people in his church to actually administer communion in their home, just basically This was an opportunity for them to carve out time for God in their house. And I thought, man, that's an amazing idea. Because it's very easy, it's very deliberate, it's very intentional, and it's very direct to get your family talking about the right things. And I know that there are some people who say, well, only an ordained minister can do those things. But that's not true. It's not true. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Folks, we're all priests. We're all ministers. I'll be judged for how I minister. Oh, yeah, so will you. And you know where your first church is? It's in your home. You're going to be judged for how you led your home. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all equal. Preacher, pastor, mom, dad, parent, whatever. What would happen in your home if Christianity was outlawed? Who would minister in your home then? Is a preacher going to come to your house? Who's going to come? You going to wait on an ordained minister to share your faith with your family? Or will you as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, even as a child, will you rise up and do it? Again, we're told that when we sit down, when we lie down, when we stand up, when we walk, that we're to talk about the things of God, that we're to impress those things upon our heart. They're supposed to be so impressed on our heart that we can't help but talk about those things. It's our choice to build a Christian home. It's up to us to be deliberate and intentional. It's up to us to do the things necessary to make that a reality. And so this pastor at this conference said he encouraged his congregation to serve communion in their homes to one another, but not just to their families. If they had other people in their homes to do it for them as well. And then at the end of the conference, they had tables set up around their worship center, just like we do today. And they encouraged families to come, but not just an individual family, again, other families to join with other families. What they were saying was, is that again, one day, when Jesus comes back for his church, for his people, we're all going to gather as one family. Jesus is going to be at the center of the table. Folks, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. Then after they served communion, they did something else it was a little different they anointed us with oil you put a little little dab on our foreheads and I know that some people thought it was odd but it was meaningful see oil in the Bible oftentimes was put on people who were sick you were supposed to pray over the sick anointed with oil but oil is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit the presence of the Holy Spirit not only is it symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but it's also symbolic of something being set apart. So like in the temple, they would use certain utensils and they would anoint those things. They would set those things apart. These were gods. They would set people apart and say, this person belongs to God. And so again, they did this at the end of the service we were at. And it was so powerful, so meaningful to me. It was so powerful that it changed my home. I just told you about what happened with my eight-year-old. That moment was so powerful. So powerful. And you know what? I just believe a moment like that can change your home as well. That's why to wrap up our series that we've been in on family, I want to invite you to the Lord's table. I want to invite you to remember his sacrifice I want to invite you to gather with your family and with other families. But I also want to invite you to remember the purpose.
these tables. See, these tables communicate the need for grace. These tables communicate the price that Jesus was willing to pay for you and for me. And so as we gather around this table as family, as families, we also understand that one day that'll be a reality. We'll literally gather with Jesus. And so I want to invite you also to be anointed with oil. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, that's all right. Again, it's just symbolic. It's just symbolic of you setting yourself apart for God. I mean, it's just Christianity is one of the most symbolic religions out there. Your baptism is symbolic. Symbolic of you dying to yourself, being risen to walk in newness of life. Communion, the bread, it's symbolic of Jesus' body, which was broken for you. The juice is symbolic of Jesus' blood that was shed for you. Again, Christianity is one of the most symbolic religions that exist. And so by being anointed with oil, what you're saying is that you want your family to change. And in order for your family to really change, you understand that it starts with you. It's going to start by you setting yourself apart. And so what you're doing when you get anointed is you're saying, God, I am yours. I put my hopes, my dreams, my desires aside. I want you and only what you have for my life. And so today in just a minute, our ushers are going to come and they're going to direct you. We've got six tables, one in front of each section and then three or or one in front of each section in the back. And so they're going to invite you to come 10, 12, 14 at a time to gather around these tables. And as they do, I hope it's a special moment for you and your family. But as other families are gathered while you're sitting there, I would encourage you to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Take time to thank him for who he is and what he's done. Thank him for his goodness and his grace. And I also want to tell you that you don't have to be a member of our church to practice communion or to take communion. If you don't want to take communion, don't feel obligated. As the ushers direct, you just stay in your chair. That's okay. But again, I just want you to understand being a part of a moment like this changed my family. And I believe it can change yours. Our families are under attack. Let's keep Christ first. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your love and for your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Man, we thank you that you were willing to die on Calvary's cross for us. And so, Father, right now in these moments, I pray that you would do something special. Father, I pray we wouldn't be worried about time. Father, we we would just focus on you. And I pray right now, this would be the start of some great things in the lives of each family that's represented here this morning. So bless this time. We set it apart for you. Meet with us, dine with us. We pray in Jesus' name.